Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California. We're here each Wednesday at this time for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. Welcome, Health Matters listeners. Thanks for joining us again this glorious day here in Sonoma Valley. Hopefully it's nice where you are as well. Well, today we are, have a two-pronged sort of program. We're going to be talking at the beginning of the hour uh, with uh, a member of a group called uh, Dharma Companions. Dharma Companions are, is, an, is an ecumenical Buddhist group that offers ways uh, for, intimates, uh, for in, excuse me, inmates to find peace in themselves and others. It's a group that helps people explore the ideas, connection and compassion and, 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 and teachings of, of, of traditional Buddhist uh, philosophy. And uh, John, whose name escapes me this minute, uh, no, Roger, 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 somebody will be with us shortly. Um, this should be an interesting conversation for those. I mean, we, we live in a culture where, where our country is the country that puts more people in prison than anybody in the, in the world. And, of course, naturally, they're people of color, and by, by and large. And as, as one uh, poet says, the cell block has been replaced by the auction, has, has replaced the auction block. So we have a, a situation in prison which has, has uh, been very profoundly skewed toward uh, creating a, a tremendous underclass of uh, many times uh, peculiarly uh, driven uh, s- social forces that have uh, way where we're controlling a lot of our the undercurrents in our society by using the prison system. And so, well, so a lot of people are showing up in prison. And one of the ways of, and of course, with all the struggle of drug addictions and and uh, child abuse and things like that, we have um, a, a lot of underclass that needs a lot of management. You might say, well, that one of the ways that that management can occur inwardly, in a in a sober way, in a way that provides heart and soul, 
is the Buddhist teaching. Fortunately, I've been fortunate to myself to have the benefit of that teaching much of the time. So our, our guest will be with us shortly to talk about Dharma Companions, and that will be good. And then the last half of our program, if all goes according to Hoyle, uh, uh, we'll be joined by Mark Dennis, who has a number of interesting things to say to us about his view of the world. And Mark has a lot of uh, important things to say, and he is one of our song leaders, our local song leaders, and one of our best-known and best-loved local musicians. So that will be the last half of our hour. So while we're waiting for uh, John to give us a call, I'm going to read to you a little bit uh, directly from the uh, Dharma Companions uh, website and some information from them. So, um, like I said, Dharma Companions is a ecumenical Buddhist group that offers ways for inmates to find peace with with themselves and others. The group helps people explore the ideas of connection, compassion, and choice, offering inmates a chance to learn and grow under challenging circumstances. We assist people in prison in a number of ways. Volunteers help inmates explore meditation and contemplation and discuss aspects of Buddhist philosophy and ethics through correspondence. We also share books and articles with inmates and provide information about current practice as well as classic texts. Finally, we help prisons connect to a broader set of secular educational programs. We do not seek to recruit or convert inmates, but rather to answer questions and provide support for people already interested in Buddhist practice. And what you might not realize is that the... Uh, Buddhism in the prisons has, has got actually a very long, or recent, recently long history. In other words, it goes back to the 70s that I'm aware of. Um, contemplative programs for inmates and organized Buddhist prison groups have offered promising avenues for reform and rehabilitation. Advocates in the early 19th century believed that silence and reflection would lead prisoners to a deeper level of self-understanding and help them see the error of their actions. Although their methods unfortunately proved coercive and unpopular, despite this early failure, these reformers did open a dialogue in the United States about the nature of punishment and the proper role of prisons. Prison meditation programs based on Buddhist, Hindu, and Taoist teachings first gained attention in the 1970s and 80s with organized efforts to explore Buddhism in particular that was taking off in the 80s. The creation of the Prison Dharma Network, now called the Prison Mindfulness Institute, in the late 1980s, marked a turning point with former inmates and Dharma instructors working closely together to address the unique challenges faced by imprisoned practitioners, exploring ways to offer long-term support as prisoners face important transitions. It's unclear how many Americans, you know, Americans in prison practice meditation or consider themselves Buddhist. Out of respect for the privacy of students, Dharma con- companions and other groups do not release information about program participants, and corrections officers do not record release data about religious preferences of inmates. Interest in prison Dharma has been growing in recent years, both inside and outside prison walls. Buddhists in American correctional facilities encounter a wide range of groups and practice styles. Just like outside practitioners, most meditation and study uh, individually, picking history and philosophy through li- library books. Some seek out mentoring programs, either corresponding with individuals or receiving support from, the outs- from an outside meditation group. Others live in facilities where chaplains work 
with local sanghas, sanghas are gatherings of Buddhist practitioners, to offer more structured activities ranging from meditation instruction and reading circles to Dharma talks. And here's our guest. Welcome to Health Matters. Thank you for joining us today. Hello. Hi, this is Roger. Hello, Roger. Roger, we're, we're, we're happy to have you with uh, on Health Matters, and we've just actually been talking about, started the program, pretty much right out of the website of Dharma Companions. And so I've, I've told our listeners that uh, what, are, what the Dharma Companion program is basically, and what I'm going to hope you're going to do is to kind of flesh that out a little bit, you know, in a larger way, a larger context perhaps, and maybe talk some about your own work with prisoners. So if we could just sort of wander through the topic a little bit. Um, it will give our, our listeners, I think, a chance to feel, um, you know, more intimately, really, what this is really is about and kind of how it actually is functioning. So, Roger, maybe we could start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you became involved with Dharma Companions. Well, I'm um, a retired person. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, 68 years old. Okay. And um, I've been practicing Zen Buddhism for uh, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And um, the work of Dharma Companions used to be done by uh, Buddhist Peace Fellowship in Berkeley. I remember. Mm-hmm. And it worked out that Buddhist Peace Fellowship didn't have the staff to keep the program going. I remember. Mm-hmm. And so a member of the board of directors of Buddhist Peace Fellowship was disappointed to see the prison project uh, pass away. Mm-hmm. And so she decided to venture out on her own and to uh, fund a new group called Dharma Companions to take over the work that the Buddhist Peace Fellowship used to do. Right. And so that's how we, we came about. We're a, we're a very small group of Zen Buddhist practitioners who basically do two things. We send Buddhist books to inmates who write to us at a post office box and request that information. And we also have uh, a, a group of mentors, people all over the country who have volunteered to mentor inmates who write to Dharma companions and ask questions about Buddhism and how they should study it and how they should pursue it while they're behind bars. Mm-hmm. And so those are the two main functions of Dharma Companions. Okay, and now ab- about yourself. Now, have have you had yourself? Have you been a mentor, for instance? I mean, I presume you, perhaps you have, and and uh, if, and if you haven't, uh, perhaps you could you could uh, judge judge for us uh, or tell us about what how that process has gone on. I mean, the the process of mentoring. Um, through the mail or, or the way you've done it. Talk about, kind of, give us a feeling for how that actually works. We have uh, notices in several Buddhist publications mm-hmm. uh, that are national. Right. And we have our mailing address listed in that 
uh, portion of the notice. And so prisoners who have an interest in Buddhism will write to us. And we have a post office box uh, that uh, where we receive all mail from inmates and all uh, prisoners who request uh, books about uh, Buddhism. And I mentor probably 10 to 15 inmates myself. Wow. So you, you really have a, st- a stable almost, practically, one could say. Yes. And um, we occasionally uh, receive requests from people across the country who see in uh, Buddhist publications, they see information about Dharma companions, right. and, they, and they want to volunteer as mentors. Right. And so we request information about their background, about their practice, and what their uh, Buddhist history is. And if they meet our criteria, then we sign them up as a mentor, and we have a backlog of inmates requesting information, so we send them one of the letters from our backlog, Mm -hmm. and they begin writing to the inmate. Mm -hmm. The inmate doesn't write to them directly, uh, directly. All, all mail goes through our post office box. Mm-hmm. So, so in other words, the, 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 the potential mentor doesn't need to fear having some unwel- unwelcome uh, association. Uh, is that would be that's that, right. that would be that would be one one outcome of that, right? Yes, and so the inmate really has no way of locating or identifying. His or her mentor. Wow, and, and, um, and but but that but that doesn't forgive me. That that doesn't stop an, an intimacy that can begin to occur between a a would be student or a student then or somebody to study with. In other words, we we don't have to know each other's address to consider the the challenges of our existence. I mean, we can that, <laughs> to say it simply. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, we we. Um, offer some protection, if you will, right. for mentors, um, and we, we keep a, a third party, meaning our post office box. I understand, yeah. In between the inmate and the mentor. Right. Now, for our listeners who may not be acquainted with Dharma, of course, that, let's talk just a moment about what Dharma means, because it's a pointed and, and, and very lively word, of course, in the East, and it, it generally means, as, as, as if you look at the, the dictionary definition, it generally means that which supports, that which upholds, supports, and maintains the regulatory order of the universe. And of course, then there's the Buddha Dharma, Buddha Dharma, which is a, a more specific kind of Dharma. But give our listeners your own v- version of how, if somebody were to say, "Well, gee, sounds like you're doing interesting work," but what is what is Dharma about? Tell us a little, give us a little storyline from your heart, from your center, about how you would answer that kind of a question. Dharma is uh, several things. Number one, uh, Dharma is the teaching of the Buddha. And secondly, uh, dharma can also mean all phenomena. Mm-hmm. So it's in a it sense it, it sense it, you're you're inviting and encouraging those who study to see their existence amidst all that is. 
Is that would be one way of saying that? Sure. Yeah. And 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 by doing so, then instead of them being only a sort of isolated, troubled, perhaps, uh, or in other words, by joining the the vast universe, there is from that there is an opportunity for a a different perspective of where one lives in the in the scope of things. And presumably then, I mean, if, if you and if, when you think about the, the work of John Kabat-Zinn and others in the last 30 years, say, for instance, who brought mindfulness to the sort of the gringo <laughs> world of the, the non-Eastern Buddhist people. Um, in other words, what the Buddhist uh, st- uh, potential students in, your, in the prisons are getting an opportunity to participate in really what amounts to a, a very elegant teaching from the East that then encourages them to uh, uh, toward enlightenment, really, which is or nirvana or uh, that kind of thing. So it's 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 completely different from sort of a punishment motif of the prison environment. But it's actually there are people who have who've written books that I've looked at over the years that have then said, you know, that prison actually became a vehicle for them to have the time and the capacity to study their inner nature, to kind of learn uh, to heal themselves as, all, as we all must be healed. Uh, and so, in a sense, it's, um, it's, it's making it, it possible to, to use the prison experience in a vastly different way than what one might imagine. Would that be fair to say? Uh, certainly, it would be fair to say. Um, we receive uh, mail from inmates who have been studying Buddhism for years and years. Right. And we receive a mail from inmates who kind of, sort of, maybe think they might want to study sure. and, pra- and practice Buddhism. Sure. So uh, some uh, prisons have uh, Sangha, uh, that uh, let's see, that would be uh, equivalent to a congregation, right? And uh, some prisons uh, have no sangha, mm-hmm. and so we get inquiries on how to, how to start one uh, about ritual and form, mm-hmm. uh, about the basics of Buddhism. Uh, you name it, we get all kinds of questions. So, to, for our listeners who might have some familiarity with Buddhist teaching, who who do the prisoners seem to be drawn to? Are they drawn to Thich Nhat Hanh? Are they drawn to Chokim Trimpa Rinpoche? Are they drawn to uh, probably everybody? But I mean, is there do they do they tend to lean in any particular direction? Tibetan, uh, Zen? What? How, just talk about that a little bit, if you would. Um, uh, if if they lean any way at all, right. They lean toward Tibetan Buddhism, and the reason they do mm-hmm. is because uh, Tibetan Buddhists have been very effective in distributing their form of Zen to uh, to prisons. Ah, uh-huh. they they send information to prison libraries, and they send it to prison prison chaplains to distribute among inmates who are interested in Buddhism. Right. Um, so this this, so is, this is Tibetan tarth- Buddhists are very effective in in that kind of work. Uh, Zen is less so. Right. Well, Tarthang Tolku, uh, the the gentleman from uh, Berserkly, and um, I mean, I, there there are there are plenty of the Tibetan groups that are definitely have a strong outreach 
you know, yes. particularly with literature. I mean, and and yes. uh, so on and so forth. So that it's so it's it's very very uh, it's 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 almost it's almost like the, the the Mormons that walk around with the little things on their chest. You know, uh, they really are have a very active uh, process. But so now, for excuse me, go ahead. Yes, it's almost missionary. Right. That's what I was trying to say. Exactly. Yes. So. Now let's let's give you give us your website if you would please so our listeners who might want to go and learn more or where would they go? They go to Dharma Companions, one word. That's one word. Okay. Dharma Companions at gmail dot com. Really? Now that's is that that's a mailing address, right? That, that rather than a website. That is an email. Yeah, right. That's an email address. So the website is just dharmacompanions.org dot org or dot com or which is it? Uh, it's. Um, oh, they can just go Dharma Companions to to Google, and it'll it'll come up. I mean, no, that's no, right. Yeah, no, 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 no problem. E- it's either one. <clears throat> yeah, either one, exactly. So, when you do go to that site, you see that there are Dharma Companions all over the place. I mean, this is not just some little thing. I mean, but I guess you're using associated groups rather than strictly Dharma companion people. So these are all the people, I guess, that are prison-oriented prison, prison oriented in terms of providing contact, you know, contact with prisons. I, I can't answer that. We are isolated here right. in, uh, <laughs> uh, in in Katati. Right, right. And um, Isolated in Katati, are, right. We are, we are not affiliated with any other Dharma Companions organization? Oh, okay. Then, then the the list on the ra- on the website then are other Buddhist groups, not particularly Dharma Companion groups. Okay, that that clarifies that for me. Right. Okay. Well, Roger, it's uh, a treat to be able to talk about this, and I was so glad you took some time for us because um, this is one of those topics. As I mean, surely, as you know, and and many of our listeners know. We're facing a nightmare in the prisons, and uh, much of there's a, there's an enormous amount of social control going on, and the prisons are kind of part of that picture, and it's it's creating uh, an underclass of of very uh, desperate proportions in our country, and so given that, like I, as I said before, you came with on the air with us that you know we have more American United States has more people in prison than any country in the world proportionally to our yes. popular, you know. Uh, what you just said is important. Um, there are Christian groups and Jewish groups and Muslim groups uh, in prisons, all of which are accepted and recognized, and the inmates are given time to worship those religions. But with regard to Buddhism, it's very difficult to get it accepted by the authorities in many prisons across this country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't know why that is exactly, but I know that it is. Well, it's it, uh, the, the, any history of the study, any history of Christianity looks at um, uh, what's what uh, it's a German word, Hochnesik, looking down its nose at everybody else and, and, and uh, achieving the superior position, so to speak. But but now 
given that you do, one of the things that you do do is you you provide literature, you provide books and magazines for people. So this business of uh, listeners who maybe maybe they subscribe to Shambhala Sun or Tricycle or one of the one of the better magazines, that yeah. uh, you receive that material and you're willing to pass that on to the prisoners. And and so I guess for our listeners' benefit, we should say that you are at box two six. Two, strike that, 762, Katadi, California, 94931-0762. Again, one more time. This is for books and magazines that you can share for Dharma Companions. That's at Post Office Box 762, Katadi, C-O-T-A-T-I, California, 94931-0762. And you'll, you'll, you'll receive those and you'll pass those along into the prison system, and I think this is a tremendously valuable service, and I, I'm sure that it's very much appreciated by those on the, on the inside. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Well, Roger, I, again, I want to thank you so much for taking the time with us, and I, I do want you to, if you'd be so kind as to, you know, if you have something that I should be, you know, putting out on the air here at Health Matters, I would be, I would consider it my privilege to uh, to do that. So if there's anything that you ever want the world to know that I can help you <laughs> let the world know, please don't hesitate to send me an email. We'll either have you on or I'll read some text for you or whatever it is, okay? Thank you very much. It's my pleasure, Roger. Thanks for, for joining us again today. You're welcome. Bye-bye now. Bye. Okay, well, there's our time with Roger and Dharma Companions. It was a real pleasure to talk with Roger, and I really urge you to look them up online and look in your heart and see if there's a place for for that kind of activity in your life. And we'll be taking a little break here at, Sonoma, at uh, Health Matters Radio, and we'll be back with you in just a moment. Please stay with us. Your nonprofit group needs to get the message out, and we here at Sonoma Sun FM, KSVY 91.3, are committed to doing just that. Every Tuesday between 11 and 12 noon, Thursday afternoons between 3 and 4 o'clock, come on down to the studios at 164 West Napa Street, bring a script and some background music, and we'll help you put it together. Visit SonomaSunFM.com, SonomaSunFM.com for more information. Sometimes caregivers need a break. The Council on Aging offers a program for older adults with limited physical and cognitive abilities. The Senior Social Club meets at the Vintage House in Sonoma, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, 9.30 to 2. There's music, crafts, and exercise, entertainment, guest speakers, and lively discussion. Contact Laurel Anderson at 935-0850. And welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Ned Hope today, now joined by um, a guest, uh, Mark Dennis, and we'll we'll talk with him in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to bring up our our Buddhist announcements of the week. This is happening at the Craneway Pavilion in Richmond, the Creating an Enlightenment uh, Enlightened Society. This is a weekend of talks, discussion, social action, art, and music, and, and community. The Northern California Shambhala event of the year is a week away, according at this time anyway. The teacher, uh, Shambhala lineage holder, Sakyang Mipam Rinpoche, that's Trumpa Rinpoche's son actually, will be hosting this event and is just one of the hosts of many speakers who will be representing a variety of extraordinary le- leaders in the different aspects of society. And so for more information, call uh, look at in creating enlightened society and 
You can do that on the, on the uh, Internet. The local Shambhala garage sale has been rescheduled to May 8th, 18th, and 19th. Uh, it had been originally earlier, but it was decided that to, to move it. It's going to be at 18044 Poplar Street, two blocks below the Mission Inn. Uh, for those who have more donations, uh, call Tarney at 227-2228, or you can reach her at TarneyB, T-A-R-N-E-Y-B, at Comcast, Comcast.net. And then finally, uh, the Shambhala announcements. The members of the society, of the society are, have rented their place this Sunday, so it will be unavailable this Sunday afternoon for individual practice. That's Shambhala Center at 255 West Napa Street. Now, tonight at Reader's Books, um, there's the Classic Books Group. Um, I was, uh, they're uh, they're going to be discussing Wendell Berry's The Distant Land. So that should be an interesting conversation. Wendell Berry is a wonderful writer. If you haven't listened, if you haven't read Wendell Berry, even if you haven't read it, you can go hear some very erudite things that Wendell Berry will be talking about. Uh, I'm sorry I missed uh, Dr. Daphne Miller last night at uh, talking about pharmacology, the the that the interconnection between how we treat the land we farm and how we treat our bodies. I'm 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 actually going to have uh, Dr. D- Dr. Miller with her on health health matters at, at a future time. And I was out of town, unfortunately, I couldn't attend that. So now I get to welcome uh, Mark Dennis to Health Matters Radio. And I don't know which microphone you're on, so we'll just uh, see. I think I'm on three, because right, this one let's, says two over here. Ah, uh, looks like three to me. All right. Welcome, uh, hey. Mark Dennis. Thanks uh, for coming in and being with us today. How you doing? Not too bad. Let's see. So we were talking this morning, and it seemed like a good idea to suggest that you come and join us. And here I am. And here you are. And so tell us about what it was we were talking <laughs> about that brought us to this moment. We were talking about everything. We were talking about what's efficient, where are our scales of economy good, where are scales of economy not so good. But we were actually started talking about humans and the, the fact that we don't make anything anymore. And even when we do make any, something, um, it's generally ah, made no, on an, an assembly line. Right, right. By a machine, and I... We're, be, we're being machined away from our, our, our native intelligence. We're, be, we're being machined away from our, our sense of being in touch with the world. Really away from meaning. I think I was thinking about this after we talked. Okay. And, um, you know, bottom line is what do we want out of life? We want to be happy. Mm-hmm. And so then the question becomes how do we get happy? And then that gets broken down into how are you spending your time? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that making stuff. Actually, we started out talking about stuff. I, was, I had this conversation with Larry Barnett, mm-hmm. um, symbolized at its height by the fact that storage business is a huge business. That we, so many people have so much stuff that they have to store it outside of their house. Mm-hmm. It's a sort of suggestive, isn't it? Yeah. And stuff that you don't even know what it is. You haven't seen it. And you're paying to store it. And that, then the attachment to that. And my, I, I actually studied to be a vocational education teacher before I finally got out of school after looking at a few different degrees. Um, and there is a satisfaction in crafting something and making something 
um, a satisfaction in owning something that's unique that somebody has made that's beautiful and there's where we get into uh, scales of economy where yes we can make all of these things very cheaply um, but we're we're killing ourselves to do it 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 ends up that we have jobs where that job might be sitting at a computer all day inputting data so that vast machine of making those things, which are manufactured overseas, are then managed and tracked here in this country. And it, the, the, it, and it's people always vote their pocketbooks, both politically and in the real world. If you can buy something at Target for twelve dollars versus buying something handmade for a hundred dollars, of course you're going to do it. Uh, but are we painting ourselves into a corner? That's uh, kind right, of a right, recap. Of, right. 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 Well, and of course, both of us as craftspeople, um, uh, more or less. I mean, of course, that's naturally we'd say that, <laughs> you know. But 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 also, I think that I think I took from your point also is I and I, it's it, it's come at me many times over the years that that in, from different teachers is that one of for instance one for instance one of the teachers that I studied with um, a gentleman from uh, Washington State who talked about how. One of the th- one of the things by not getting our hands over our heads and and being like monkeys, you know, and and picking things off of trees, we lose an essential circulation of t- that's taking place in our upper body because of the the gravity that that comes from having our hands up over our heads. Just by going through that range of just motion. by just by going through that range of motion that feeds a whole system of of liveliness in our in our mind as well as in our the the, the local joints themselves so he was saying that one of the things that he he's a health counselor and he's one of the things that he encourages his uh his uh students, his, t- his clients, whatever, to do is, is to, on a regular basis, be sure that they, they're getting their hands up over their head, for instance. So there's, there's that kind of level of it, just sort of almost sort of biophysiologic. But, but you're, you're bringing in a, a larger picture or a somewhat different picture in the sense of there's the personal satisfaction angle of it. But then there's a kind of a, a laying waste of the spirit of a person by, by not having a a hands-on relationship with the universe in a way, other than something that comes from China or something that's manufactured in a, in a gross sense by some disparate, distant person who ha- with whom you have no association. So you're, you're saying that there's a spirit loss there, too, is what I think I hear you I say. am saying that, but it's, it's a tough problem because what comes with specialization, mm-hmm. like when um, in, 19, in the early 1900s, 94, 95% of the population was rural. Right. And when you lived on a farm, you did everything. Right. You built your house, you planted your crops, you took care of your animals. And you had to have a lot of smarts to do that, too. It's not just doing, but it was exhausting. Mm. So, of course, as soon as people can get away from physical labor, they want to do that. Me, too. Any, yeah. any chance I get. Mm. Um, so it's not, yeah, it's not just the doing it and moving physically, but it's it's a whole process. How do I build a barn? Well, I have to know how to cut a piece of wood. I have to know geometry. I have to know the angles of doing that. I have to know what tool puts in. But not only do we, but we don't need to know it just individually, though. We get to know it collectively. And so that's what barn raisings were about, just to use your image to go right there. And, and, and so that somebody may not know perfectly how to build a barn, but if you get all the guys together or the families together, then... Somebody there, the collectively, they're, they're just like they're saying crowdsourcing now. They're, they're, you know, 
So, so there is a way of, of not having to hold the whole universe in your own head. I mean, you, you, can, you can use others. You can be, we, can, we can be in it together, so to speak. You can. And this is going, we also talked about this. This is going to take a big leap kind of away from where we're going. That's but, okay. Um, solar energy. Uh, energy, how we power all these machines that we've made, it's... We, we're actually talking about efficiency, and it's very efficient to burn a gallon of gas. A gallon of gas produces like 10,000 times the amount of energy that a solar panel um, can output. Um, mm. But it's really not that efficient of a process. First of all, that petroleum ha- has been being made over millions of years. It's a storehouse of energy, which we're using up in just a few years, and, and actually a few years, not metaphorically a few years. Right, right. Um, and this is a phrase that kept coming back to me. I don't know what the solution is, but I know the problem is centralization because you can't, you can't compete with a fuel source that's been made for millions of years and is, is stored there. But is it efficient, really, when we come to the cost of we have to mine it, we have to collect it, it's poisonous, we have to transport it? It's only a few cents coming out of your wall uh, to, to collect that energy. So I think it's seven cents per kilowatt now. And it costs more to put in a solar panel, but that act of decentralization is where I'm heading. I actually, the more that things get centralized, the cheaper they become, and we get the scales of economy. But we look at farming. We may be at a point now where we can't farm because we have to feed billions of people. But could we do that by having um, large-scale farms that were organic and, and employing literally hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions of people, versus machine machining. And now we get into regulation and government and socialism versus capitalism, and it goes on and on. And I don't know what... It gets gets pretty big and wobbly, yeah. Very fast. I don't know what the answer is, but I know for meaningful lives, and I'm going to come back to that thread, that doing something, being self-reliant, Ralph Waldo Emerson and making something has an extreme satisfaction in it and so the question becomes can we combine both a satisfying lifestyle with an abundant lifestyle and I don't know if we can let's have that let's hold that question we're going to take another break here at Sun FM 91.3 here in Sonoma Dr. Ned Hoke today sharing the rest of the hour with Mark Dennis we're kind of kicking around the uh the situations of the of the time we're living in, and we'd be happy to have you join us and join in the conversation. Anybody else out there that has some thoughts on what we're talking about? Nine three three nine one three three. He's right there. So please stay with with us. We'll be back with you in just a moment, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> The Sonoma Valley Teen Service's second annual Cowboy Cab Benefit is set for June 1st, 6 to 9 p.m. This country casualty event includes an evening of great music by Tommy Thompson, delicious wine tasting and cowboy grub, and a silent and live auction all to benefit Sonoma Valley Teen Services. That's Cowboy Cab on June 1st. Visit svteens.org or call 939-1452. Call 939-1452. Hi, 
I'm Mindy Luby, and I hate cancer. Join the American Cancer Society's fight to end cancer with the Relay for Life. The money raised funds cancer research, which is the only way we will truly see an end to cancer. Join us this August 3rd and 4th at the Sonoma Valley High School track to honor and celebrate our cancer survivors and caregivers and to remember loved ones that we've lost. For more information, visit RelayForLife.org slash SonomaCA. Join us to celebrate, remember, and fight back against cancer. This is the Sun FM 91.3 KSVY Sonoma. And welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Ned Hoke sharing the end of the hour here with Mark Dennis. And he just has a lot to say. Let's just say that. And, and we, get a ch- we don't get much chance of hearing him. But although those of us who have the, pri- the privilege of knowing him, we do hear from him from time to time. But uh, this is a special moment. <laughs> this is a special moment. So, so tell us about decentralization, Mark, and kind of how that is so obviously in, in the front of your mind and kind of, what, kind of into what you can say about why it's there even, too. Okay. Let, here we come into health matters. Okay, please. Um, let's say that you have a disease, and it's a kidney disease, and you need to be on a dialysis machine. Let's say. And you say, well, you know, I need this dialysis machine, but I can't afford it. So I'm not going to pay. I'm not going to pay it, or because I can't afford it. We and uh, sorry, climate deniers, but we are in global warming, and one of the main causes of it is fossil fuels. So, what can you and I specifically, personally do? We can we can make our own energy, and I think it's actually the most revolutionary act that you can perform on the earth at this time. Really. Because there is energy. We look out the window right now. Those plants are blowing around. There's enough sun falling on every roof, in this town at least. And wind. To power every building. But it can't compete with what's coming out of the walls. So you got to take a personal hit financially. Uh, it costs about twenty to $30,000 to solarize a house. That's energy for the rest of your life. It's a lot of money. I can't afford it right now. Mm-hmm. People think nothing of dropping twenty to thirty grand on a car. And people that have that kind of money, sure. Um, and if if the thinking this gets back to the dialysis machine, if the thinking is always what's the bottom line and what's the most efficient thing that I can do with my money? Uh, well, it's efficient for your for your bank account, but is it efficient if you're literally? You're on that dialysis machine, and you say, I can't do it. I can't afford it, so I'm just going to die, which is kind of what we're doing with power production. Mm -hmm. We've got all this free energy, almost free, because it's been made. Um, I'm actually hopeful about nuclear energy. But that's another. That's another. Well, we'll go there a little bit later in the program. So, but what you're not, what you're not, re, or perhaps not remembering or not saying anyway, is is that there are programs out there now for people where the company comes in, they they drop the the, the panels on your roof, and they and you it it, it you don't have to pay for it. You lease front. it to the power you, company. You lease it to the power company. I like that. It's a step. But here's what I don't like about it. Because you, you're what? You're still just prepa- you're just still just continuing that system of um, again then transporting energy over vast. So you want to be off the grid? Is what you're saying? Everybody, and we have the technology to do that I now. See. Now, d- now, didn't I hear you say recently that you actually are are working with this on an en- a kind of personal engineering basis? I mean, well, yeah, I don't know if I'd put as high of a 
title on it is engineering, but I'm making solar lights. Yeah. And they're, it's a light that makes about a 40 watts equivalent of what a 40-watt light bulb, and it runs off of a 9-volt battery, and it's charged by a little solar panel that's about 4 inches by 6 inches. Right. So you're, you're actively, you know, uh, some, you know some, part of, some part of the week, you're, you're fussing around with this as a, as a tech. I'm lighting my room with it every as a, night. As a technical matter, exactly. Three, exactly. Of these, three of these would light a room, and that's light for the rest of your life. Um, let's talk about another idea. Okay. Air conditioning, which takes 5% of the uh, energy, the U.S. energy, that's a lot, 5%. It's a big number, yeah. So how hard would it be to put a solar panel directly on on an air conditioner? And while the sun is shining, Mm -hmm. it triggers and I've I've Googled this and there are people doing this. So wow. there's no battery storage. No talk it's just right so now. So right it's, when you need it. It's right here, right now. It doesn't get stored. It's not the most efficient way. So we come back to efficiency. It's more efficient to store it in a battery. Right, right. But in that case you have to manufacture the battery. Interface, you have yeah. to have the the poison, the lead and those toxic lithiums and, 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 uh, the, contr- and the, con- the controller and the, the regulators and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you still have to have a regulator but there are inverters that will make the uh, will make that current steady enough to run that air conditioner. That, but then there are people yeah. saying, "Who cares if it doesn't run regularly? You get a burst, you get some coolness, and then it comes down when the sun." So this whole idea of efficiency has been kind of based on this model that we want the most maximum. We want to get the maximum scientific number out of this. And I'm saying it's wrong thinking. Schumacher talked about this. E.F. Schumacher in Small is Beautiful, Mm -hmm. that if you have a company and you get to more than 200 people, maybe you're going to make money. But as a working group... Um, you've lost that meaning with the group. You can't recognize more than 200 people. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with scale and decentralization. And again, I, I don't know a lot about this, but I know No, we should, we should reveal to our audience maybe that you've been a back-to-the-lander. You've, you've, I uh, did it in my 20s. It, well, but that, yeah. that, was, that was a real thing. And, and, and so that you still have some of that. It sounds to me like you, you have some of that uh, passion, if you will, that, that the kind that, that when if you're going to go off and, you know, f- you know, hack out of life in, in the in the woods, so to speak, or wherever. You but know, that you, that was only possible because of post-war boom. The whole hippie thing that happened was only possible because we had this huge surplus of money and time. And um, it was in southern Ohio, down in Athens, Ohio, and we bought 30 acres. And you, you mentioned a barn raising. I actually just got goosebumps. Probably one of the most exciting days of my Life was uh, framing a house in a day with a bunch of people um, with huge timbers, timbers that were about nine feet, I mean, not nine feet, nine inches by nine inches square and 20 feet long. Big pieces of wood. Super heavy. Big pieces of wood. And you say, well, somebody knows how to move this. With hooks and 20 people, you know, no cranes. We put right. up this house, and four of the seven people that started that project are still living down there in Athens, Ohio. They were out of debt in their 30s. Wow. And are, you know, have sent their kids through college. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you have living proof that, that, that people can live simply, can take care of themselves, can, can, can grab the world by their, with their own hands and, and, and live a life in, 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 a, in, a, in a way. So is there... 
Is there some Proof of you that- being a kind of a strong word? Again, it was really dependent on the economic time. Land was $500 an acre, acre in rural Ohio in right. the early 70s. Pretty, pretty cheap. Yeah, a pretty, little different story. Pretty cheap, yeah. So tell us what you're doing today these days. And, and again, for our listeners, let her, any of these things that we're talking about, please feel free to give us a call, 933-9133. So... Tell our listeners who may not know, it's probably it's hard to imagine that anybody in the sound of our voice is not acquainted with you, but tell our listeners about what it is you're doing currently in terms of what, I mean, you, obviously you've got several, you've got your hands in several pies, as it were, but talk about some of your, your life today and what you're doing and what, what you're finding, keeping your heart alive and your, your spirit feeling uh, uh, willing and able. Well, the... One of the huge things that's feeding me is uh, Vox Populi, the rock and roll course, which you are a part of. Right. And uh, that was kind of a fluke. I put out a flyer, learned how to sing harmony, and now it's 40 to 60 people singing harmony with a seven-piece band. And it's that thing, again, about using your body, actually doing something. It's just been a great, cool thing in my life. And and, and just, just to sidebar a little bit, it's amazing the number of people who say almost that. They say, you know, I go there and I've, I've done something. You know, I, I used myself. I, I you know, as they say. I'm making noise with people. I, I'm making noise with people. So they, they're, they, they're feeling like a lot of what, what you just said in a way. So that they're really, they're getting it. So, okay, we're, we're still with, on your story. But I just wanted to mention that. That not only are you, well, I don't have to keep saying that, but it's... You know where this conversation started? We were talking about, uh, you have a piece of property down in Bolinas right. where, where you built most of it yourself, and yeah. you've done the work rather than hiring out, and right. I've remodeled two rooms in my house where I built a shower, and I was talking about the satisfaction of stepping into that right, shower and right. feeling the tile on the wall, <laughs> and it's like... Hey, I did this. Right, right. I mean, right, you, what, yeah. tell it's, me it's, about it's, like what you've done. Well, it's out of it's, your it's, it's delicious. Well, <laughs> I was talking actually just last night. I was visiting I was visiting a friend in San Francisco who's in from Maine actually for a little quick quick little visit to California. And I was talking about what we were doing currently, and I said, "Well, what I've managed to do is is lay down a lot of drop cloths <laughs> <laughs> and paint. I've got drop cloths all over the place. Well, not just for painting, just sort of so, so I, because I." I did the floor? I did. I did a, re, a, a, a restoration on this on the floor, the major the major floor of this of the major of the main building, and I didn't want to ding it up by all the other things I was going to do. So, I, I she said, "Well, how's it going?" I said, "Well, I, I've got drop cloths everywhere." It was kind of says it to me like, "But they've been there forever." And it's like I, I feel like I'm like on this very very slow boat. I bought this house in 1974, so I mean, holy cow! That's f- he, he's being really modest here. He's he's built a green. Dream machine down there. It's, it's got solar water heating. Yeah, it's got exactly. radiant solar floor heating, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's tiring and it's a lot of work to build something. But well, you finish it and you go, "It's great." Yeah, I did this. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Well, it, it's you know what I think about too is lately I've been thinking about I've been been listening to this. Um, I can't think of his name, but his name is Gar, something like Aberwitz or something like that. He's talking about there's this kind of way of arranging uh, a, a sort of a new, ca- a, a, a non-free market capitalism, but a, a uh, uh, I wish I had the language better. But anyway, there's there's a there's a, and I'm and I'm looking at that property and I'm saying I wonder, 
I wonder if there's somehow with this property, I mean, obviously I can't, it, it's not a, big enough to do a huge amount of things, but I wonder if there's some kind of a small collective thing I could do with this thing in a way so that I didn't have to, because either, either that or I'm going to turn it into a, a retreat rental kind of place, which is kind of the where the, where the money is, you know, so... Here, I, we, here we finally come around to capitalism and socialism. Right. And people talk about those two things like they're mortal enemies, and they can't exist together. I'm, um, I'm not sure I, I do, but myself. But I, well, I it, the the problem of cooperating with people. I mean, this is very oversimplified. But in the the i the idea behind capitalism is basically that you're going to take care of the individual, and it's you know survival of the strongest, and the person with the good idea and the energy is going to build something and. They have the rights, and the idea behind socialism is basically that you're going to take care of the group, and neither of those work because you've got to take care of yourself, and you've got to take care of the group. So mm-hmm. I think that's the big challenge mm. that's coming up: is how are we going to merge those? People talk about capitalism almost as if it's a religion, and that if the government has any hand in it, government does a million things. Great, it builds roads. It used to build schools. We went to great schools as kids because, again, that post-war boom surplus, and we've almost given up on public education. Hmm. Um, it's, the heart- I- it's heartbreaking, actually, when you think about it. Yeah, but the the thing as Soviet communism showed that. It dismotivates people if they can't have their own individual input. It was completely top down, and it choked off individual spirit. Well, of course, this is this is where we we have the grace of our uh, in our in our midst of Georgia Kelly and her in, engagement with the Mondragon. Um, are you familiar with? I the, am Mondragon, yeah, which is a the, the communal Mondragon group in com- Spain. Communal group in in the Basque area of Spain, and and um, the teachers that I'm that I'm enchanted with currently are basically. Talking generally down that line of of uh, of using you know worker worker owner cooperatives that kind of thing as a way of of chipping away at this uh, this incredibly high level over reliance on large corporate bodies which is like too was, big to fail too big to fail and he was and one of the things he one of the teachers that I'm talking about talks about how. You know what we have to do with these banks is we have they have to become public they have to be pu- become public things or or as as one of our actually the first the gentleman who first helped us put together this radio station a guy named Mark and uh, Mark Armstrong is a local guy who's who's taken up the thing called the Public Banking Institute and he's kind of building on that North Dakota model you know where it's, that's a, that's a state bank so he's busy trying to prosper that kind of idea in, in the in the broader social community so there are, there are a lot it's of, a wonderful life there's 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 a lot of good things out there trying to happen and and so we need to be part of those things and and one of the things we try to do here at health matters is to try to bring them up and talk about them and that kind of thing the problem with that is the hell of dealing with people and and sitting through meetings and meetings and committees so it's i don't know we've got to learn cooperation and we and i don't know how we're going to do it Uh um well Maybe, 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 maybe if we all get really by the next. I mean, did, I don't know if you looked at the newspaper. They talked about the um, the the Dow Jones. It showed the Dow Jones just before the crash. There, there was this arrow that goes just almost straight, practically straight up. You know, from two thousand something like two thousand two to two thousand seven. There's this there's this line, and then you look at the two thousand ten to two thousand thirteen. The line's almost identical. And so there's a this was on the cover of the Wall Street Journal this morning. And so the supposition was it's gonna it, you know 
when will it fall again? Because it, it presumably has to. And of course, that's a whole that's a whole huge.